This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Personal Log, Lieutenant Junior Grade, Win Sedino. Stardate 29301.9. We are en route to Orath Prime, an uninhabited Class K planet orbiting an orange dwarf. There we are to rendezvous with the USS Stargazer. We are to engage in several orbital scans of the planet's surface to verify reports of a gravimetric distortion emanating seemingly from the planet's core. Having verified this distortion, the Stargazer will take steps to eliminate it. All right, that's the opening log, and we are back. Uh, so, welcome back to Captain's Log, and this is our first mission. So I looked up gravimetric as a term in Star Trek. It is a term. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a space time kind of thing, right? So just to, uh, just to reiterate, just to recap, um, we got planetary, planetary exploration with the, uh, subcategory of trap. So we are being called to investigate a planet, but it's, it's actually a trap. And um, and then for the what would you call it the the incident and the theme, uh, we rolled destroy gravimetric distortion. <clears throat> so uh, I then proceeded to consult the random tables in Captain's Log and generate the system. So what we've got here is a class K zero five star or zero v i don't know i don't know about astronomy i'm playing a star trek game i know nothing about astronomy uh which is uh basically an orange dwarf as they call it it's slightly smaller than our sun slightly less luminous it has one planet orbiting it uh, maybe we can assume there's some asteroids as well somewhere out there maybe one or two asteroid belts uh but uh, since this is a smaller star, I think it kind of makes sense that there's just the one planet. Um, I went back to my nice little Star Trek name generator, which, hey, wouldn't you know, also includes a planet name generator. So I selected Orath. And since it's just the one planet, this is the planet of Orath Prime, uh, which is itself a Class K planet. So it's a Class K planet orbiting a Class K star. That's strictly a coincidence. So a Class K planet, according to Starfleet, is a planet that um has potential to be habitable um you could you know you can live on the surface of the planet it's not um it's not inimical to uh, humanoid life but 
uh, you're going to need to live in like a little glass dome or have some other form of life support in order to live on the surface of the planet because it's not otherwise um, habitable in that sense. It doesn't have a breathable atmosphere. It has, you know, temperatures can drop quite low, etc. Um, Orath Prime also has, as the table put it, or as the Matrix put it, five plus moons so i guess it's uh i'm picturing it's kind of a larger planet probably has um you know five um you know significant moons like moons that you could probably see from the surface of the planet and then uh you know maybe uh, twice as many little small rock-like moons like uh, the you know the moons of mars for example so uh, quite an interesting little place it is, and uh, yeah, so that is where we are going. And uh, what was what was the actual term? I, I was using helmsman last time, but actually, that as I discovered is uh, from the sort of Enterprise uh, era of Star Trek, and so later it uh, becomes. And I want to say flight officer, um, you know, flight control officer. There we go. Also known as a con officer or simply con or helm. Okay. So, uh, we have flight control officer, Lieutenant junior grade, <laughs> when Sedino, can we add more things to the, um, to this character's titles? Uh, and we are, as a reminder, on board the Kyushu, and this is a New Orleans-class uh, frigate, basically. Um, it's mostly set up for patrol and sort of scientific reconnaissance missions, and it's in the latter category that I think we are headed to Orath Prime. Um, and I had also rolled for an advantage and had gotten um, Allied Federation Starship, I had mused about, you know, whether to, like, bring in canon characters, and I thought, why the hell not? And on the timeline where I decided to start, we've still got a youngish Captain Jean-Luc Picard in command of the Stargazer. Uh, so, why not? Let's, let's go for it. We're playing Star Trek. We might as well go, go all in, right? And uh, so Stargazer, for those of you who don't know, is a Constellation-class ship, which has uh, four warp nacelles, very distinctive-looking um, ship. And uh, Picard was captain of this for, I want to say, about 20 years. I mean, a long time. He, he started out, he was uh, kind of an inspiration to my character, really, because he was also a flight control officer when the captain of the Stargazer was killed in a uh, battle, and he took command, and then... Um, just, you know, earned himself a, a field promotion for his gallantry and, and skill. So, one of the youngest ever captains in Starfleet history. And no doubt, still bald, even then. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> think about Back to the Future, you know. Jesus, didn't that guy ever have hair? Anyway, so... Um, so we're going to be rendezvousing with the Stargazer. I'm a little, I'm still a little fuzzy on like what, what exactly can be done to destroy a gravimetric distortion 
but I think that's part of the point is that we're going to play through and we're going to find out. Um, I shouldn't know, you know, that's part of the mystery, right? That's part of the fun of discovery. So, um, so yeah, we're just going to kind of see how things go. And, uh, so the way that missions work, let's, let's kind of go over that before we really jump in here. And again, I'm still musing about how I want to present this. If it's, if it's just me talking through it. And then at the end, I come back and kind of give a little like narrative recap. Uh, you know, could certainly do it that way. Uh, or I might just pause as I go along and do like little narrative scene descriptions. I can also do it that way. Okay, so the creative process. How do I play through a scene? So, okay, so every mission is supposed to have 15 scenes. And, um, and, and then it's divided up into three acts. And so each act has five scenes. And um, so basically at the end of each act... Okay, so they kind of give you some guidance here, which is that at the end of each act, you're kind of supposed to, to pause and uh, write a new log that journals the mission so far, as it says here. So let's just go with that. Let's go with that guideline. And, uh, and then it says you may choose to do a closing log to introduce the last scene of the story. And uh, this method of resolve usually ends on a high note with a mission well done. However, it could also memorialize your perspective on the mission, whether it was a success or failure. It could contain a lesson learned wherein you record a changed value. Okay, fine. So... Um, so yeah, so basically we're going to go through, we're going to do um, scenes here, and let's see, so let's just, let's just review what it says about scenes. The key to making great scenes is figuring out the dramatic question. If you want to do something and there's nothing to be revealed by your action, make a quick judgment and move on. Most scenes have an element of plot development. Whatever adventure you have in mind for your captain requires scenes where they uncover the plot. Um, many scenes also offer character development. This development connects the scene to your captain. You have already decided what character, what character development you wish to see through your character's values. Values are there to be explored and challenged. A character with a value connecting them to a rival should see that rival define the character as the character defines the rivalry, etc. Scenes are likely to have one or more dice rolls. These rolls should not impede the flow of the story, but offer interesting directions for the story to go based on success or failure of the role. Failure should not mean the game stalls until a success is rolled. It means you might have to choose a different path. Yes, yes. Uh, key element in scene pacing is knowing where to start and where to end. Yeah, indeed. Get right to the thrust of the scene. If you're questioning a prisoner, start the scene in the brig with the prisoner offering the information for a price. Okay. Um, okay. So, while you're on a starship, it's also important to determine what's close at hand. So, are we within a star system or in interstellar space? We're within a star system. Are there any phenomena nearby, such as nebulae, wormholes? No. Rolled for that. If in a star system, are there planets? Yes. Covered that. Um, so, I think, I think we're going to open the first scene in orbit around um, Orath Prime. And, uh, yeah, so classic, you know, classic Star Trek opening shot with the uh, Kyushu orbiting the uh, planet. And I'm, let's see, I don't know if the Stargazer has shown up yet or not, so let's roll for that. Uh, so we're gonna do a probability matrix, and we'll just do a 50-50 on this one. 
and a nine means it has shown up. Okay, so in fact, it's an opening shot with two Starfleet ships in orbit around Orath Prime, the uh, orange light of the um, Class K star kind of giving the planet a sort of um, almost like candy orange kind of glow to its atmosphere, um, clouded and somewhat turbulent looking uh, with uh, many, you know, a couple of its many moons visible in the background of the shot. See, look at this. I can't, I can't help it. I can't help but narrate these scenes. So that's just how we're doing it. Okay, so... All right, so we're on the bridge of the Kyushu. Uh, Wynn is at the helm. Um, I actually found a pretty cool uh, rendering of a New Orleans-class bridge, and I'll put that in the show notes. But this is by an artist named Tadeo Dioria, and... Um, judging by their website uh they just do these kind of 3d model renderings of different ship bridges for like pretty much any federation class warship you can name um and they note here that this was a a custom job they did actually for um what did they say created oh uh made as a paid commission for the role play group star trek distant horizons so uh shout out to them i guess this is actually for the uss lafayette but um, close enough, you know. Uh, it's a New Orleans class. That's that's what matters. So if you just picture, you know, picture the the Enterprise bridge from Next Generation, just shrunken down slightly. So it's still got that sort of um, egg shaped uh, command uh, dais. Uh, although in this case, it only has two seats rather than three. And then it has the uh, helm and the navigators positions up front as per usual with the view screen and everything uh and then you know the uh, various stations are sort of arrayed around the back and there's not a whole lot to the sides uh the turbo lift is off to the right of the helm looks like and i don't think there's a ready room uh there might be oh yeah there is actually yeah, shut my mouth. All right, so there's a ready room uh, off to the the left of the navigator's seat. Okay. So that is our opening scene. And we've got... Uh, <laughs> why don't we say uh, we've got uh, young Picard up on the view screen, and he is talking with the captain. Um, obviously, we're on the bridge, so we have several bridge officers present in addition to Wynn. Uh, so he is talking with our captain, Captain Jace Galvin. Jace Galvin. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I went through and I went ahead and, and filled in all the sort of command positions, the, the you know, uh, senior officer positions. And um, I know I said last time I was going to largely stick to a human crew. Uh, I mean, it is not quite majority human but uh most well like half half human i guess i don't know but uh as promised the the non-humans largely stick to the uh you know cheap uh and easily done makeup 
um, dictum that I laid down. So, but for Jace, Captain Galvin, uh, he is a human. And then I rolled for uh, personality traits. And so for him, I got stoic. So he's a stoic commanding officer. He and Picard will get along famously, I'm sure. Um, sitting next to, well, actually, I'm, I'm picturing Captain Galvin kind of standing, in fact, in front of the uh, the helm and navigation consoles and, uh, you know, hands clasped behind his back, you know, as he, as he talks to Picard and, uh, you know, really filling out that, that Federation uniform, uh, which I guess in the 2350s, you know, that's, that's actually an interesting question. I wonder what, I wonder what the Federation uniforms were, were looking like in the 2350s. Um, I mean, I'll just assume they looked like season one, uh, uniforms, aka the sort of um, lycra spandex onesies <laughs> that they were rocking in those early seasons, before uh, Patrick Stewart was like, "I don't like the way these fit my body," and um, and so uh, yes, yeah, so Captain Galvin's standing, facing the view screen, talking to Picard, sitting back at the uh, sort of command. I don't know, what would you call that? The command area is uh, First Officer Varina Kerensky. Uh, she is also uh, human, and appropriately, I swear to God, I rolled these randomly. Appropriately, for a stoic captain, we have a charismatic First Officer. So, <laughs> you know, I guess certain, certain tropes just want to come through. I don't know. Um, sitting to... Um, to Wynn's uh, left at the uh, navigation console would be an ensign, who I have not generated, actually. That's interesting. And then um, let's say we've got uh, the chief security officer and the uh, chief engineer on the bridge as well. And uh, in that case, we have a couple of aliens. Uh, we have got uh, the chief engineer is... Uh, Tatha Therella, uh, and he is an Andorian. And for those of you who don't know, the Andorians are one of your classic Trek uh, aliens. Um, in fact, and then even in the lore, they're one of the founding uh, species of the Federation. And these are the dudes with the uh, with the blue skin and the little antennae with the sucker pad endings coming up off their foreheads. Um, don't know a whole lot about the Andorians, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, they haven't really been featured much in the in the stuff that I've watched so far. And then, um, so that's Lieutenant Thorella to you. And their trade is Agile, which seems appropriate for the Chief Engineer. Um, whether that's mentally Agile, physically Agile, or both, you know, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. And then, like I said, we've got the chief of security, and this is our this is our one sort of nod to uh, you know that one poor sap actor who has to come in hours before everyone else to get the the heavy makeup applied because this is uh, Lieutenant Crisar, and Lieutenant Crisar is a Cation, which is basically a cat person. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, just think Catra from Shira, I suppose. And, um, yeah, so, uh, Krisar is, uh, tenacious, is the trait I rolled for her. 
uh, also befitting a chief of security. Um, you know, just just to be uh, transparent, I rolled the characters first, and then I assigned them um, to their roles. Once I had done the captain and the first officer, I kind of started to, you know, um, do that independently rather than, you know, end up with a, I don't know, an unconventional uh, security officer. Um, our unconventional character is the chief science officer who we will meet shortly, I'm sure. Um, so we've got. Uh, Captain Galvin talking to Captain Picard. We have Wynn sitting at the at the helm, and what we rolled for an encounter was um, strange strange apparitions or something along those lines. Let's let's go back, and then we'll and then we'll return to talk about how missions play out here. Things will go. I think things will go a little more smoothly uh, as we get into later missions, but I think it's important to just kind of. Take our time here, be very, you know, methodical in how we go through everything. Because, you know, honestly, I am still kind of learning my way around um, things as well. So, okay, so we've got haunting figures appear and disappear randomly. Hmm. Right, so the, uh, the image that I had was uh, of these things appearing actually on the bridge of the Kyushu. Uh, so haunting figures is a very, very intriguing kind of way of putting it. Okay, so let's go back and let's look at their advice on how to uh, generate a, um, a mission, how to go through the mission, right? Okay. Okay, so... Basically, what I've been doing, actually, is exactly what I should have been doing, which is great. Uh, so the first thing you do with the scene is you narrate. You set the scene up, and, and you start to narrate. And so uh, you picture the scene in your head, and you, you, know, you, just, you just start to imagine it and sort of you know, speak it into the universe, speak it into existence. You know, who are the people there? Where are you? What are, the, you know, what are some of the sights or sounds or other senses? You know... Is there anything you can kind of throw in there establishing the scene and then you narrate what they say narrate to a task tap into the probability matrix build the world its characters and their motives find out what's at stake face your character with a task all right so what i'm the first thing i'm trying to decide so we'll go to the probability matrix here now i've talked about the probability matrix a few times i keep mentioning it um, and, and basically, the, the sort of the main probability matrix, if you will, is, um, is just kind of designed to help you, you know, figure out uh, whether something happens or not. And to do that, you sort of, um, uh, you have to decide first on kind of a qualitative uh, chance. So that ranges from highly probable to highly improbable. And, uh, and I've just been doing the 50-50 chance up till now. But I think at this point, I have a, I have a couple questions in mind. Um, so the first question is, do these haunting entities manifest on the bridge of the Kyushu? So because I kind of had that in my head, I'm going to say highly probable. 
And yes, indeed. Indeed they do. Uh, do they manifest on the bridge of the Stargazer as well? I'm going to give that somewhat probable, and that's a no. Okay. All right, so here we go. Um, we've got um, Captain Galvin talking to Captain Picard. And by the way, I know it's usually Galvan, but this is <laughs> the name generator I used. It's spelled G-A-L-V-E-N. So, you know, Des, don't correct me. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess by the 24th century, uh, that surname has, has morphed, or at least one version of the surname has morphed into Galvin. Okay, so we've got Captain Galvin talking to Captain Picard, when suddenly, strange entities, strange humanoid shapes begin to uh, materialize all around the bridge of the Kyushu. Captain Picard, can he see them? Can he see them from, from the Stargazer? Let's give that a 50-50 chance. He will not see them. Okay. So, of course, everyone is uh, shouting an alarm. Uh, Commander Kerensky jumps to her feet. And uh, as, uh, as Lieutenant Kresar, uh reaches for her phaser. And, uh, and there are shouts of alarm. And Picard goes, What's going on over there, Captain? And, um, and uh, Captain Galvin spins around. And he's, he's looking around. And, and he says, I don't know, Picard. There are strange beings on board our, our bridge. And then he, he uh, looks at Wynn and he says, uh, uh, run a scan. What are these things? So Wynn is going to uh, run a scan to see if these are biological entities or not. Um, or are they, you know, beings of some other dimension or, or, or what? So um, rather than letting the probability matrix determine that, we will instead go to the... Uh, uh, system i guess you could say the the game system itself uh which uh, as i discussed last time uh basically i am adding um my disciplines to my attributes or one discipline to one attribute rather and um and then i'm rolling against that target number on 2d20 so uh let's take a look at what would be a good one so we've got control. Okay, um, so this is precise, orderly, disciplined, highly coordinated, and well-developed fine motor skills. Doesn't seem quite right. Daring is decisive and fearlessness. Uh, when adrenaline starts pumping, a daring character can act swiftly. Um, so let's look at when faced with an intellectual or emotional problem. So this is an intellectual problem. I'm, I'm running a scan uh, for the, on the ship. And, um, and so, you know, there's, there's also an argument that could be made in terms of um, whether or not to use the ship's talents. Oh, yeah, so the ship has a sensor talent. Okay, so that, that kind of, that covers that, really. <laughs> so I'm using the ship's sensors, which is a 10, and then uh, the ship's science rating, which is a 4. So, yes, this is an example, like, when you're on board a starship, you can use the starship's own... Uh, traits um, in place of your own or to substitute for the crew or what have you. So here we go. All right, right out the bat, we got an interesting result. So, um, so like I said, I needed a 14 or less. So I rolled an eight. So that is a success. However, the other die came up a 20. And in Star Trek Adventures, much like in Pendragon, 
A natural 20 is not, or I should say Captain's Log. I can't really speak for <laughs> Star Trek Adventures. Um, a natural 20 is not necessarily a good thing. And so a natural 20 is going to generate what they call threat. Okay. Okay. You can never have more than one point of threat. If you attempt a task and both dice come up as 20s, you have one threat. That's fine. Okay, once threat is generated, it must be spent sooner or later. You choose whether threat is spent immediately or stored for later. Threat can be spent in one of two ways. Create a complication. You can spend threat immediately when it is accrued. If you do this, you introduce a new danger to your current scene. This is a twist to your story. Perhaps a new adversary arrives or another emergency appears that demands your urgent attention. Narrate how the situation gets worse for your captain or roll on the threat spend matrix on page 278. You could also choose to roll in the complication matrix or any other matrix wherein things can become worse. My other option is the next action I attempt requires two successes instead of the normal one. Um, I think obviously we've got to create a complication. We got to work that trap in at some point and this might actually be the time to find out what is going on. Um, so we've got random threat spends um, or we can roll on the complications table. Okay. So we can roll randomly. There's there's multiple uh, subtables on the threat spends. So let's let's take a look at uh, at our options here. So we've got hostile alien entity, uh, gravity, which of course would fit in nicely, um, psionic incident, ship in distress, systems failure, subspace, or temporal anomaly. Um. Hmm, I can see, yeah, I can see a lot of interesting, interesting possibilities out of all of these. Gosh, well, let's just roll on the, on the random table then to see what, what subtable to use. Uh, three, gravity. Well, there you go. All right. Hmm, some interesting possibilities here. 14. Random shifts in gravity strength. All right, well, that, of course, makes sense. Um, we're here to deal with a gravimetric distortion. We are getting random shifts in gravity strength. Okay. All right, this is David from a Mirror Universe alternate reality interjecting to point out, yes, I did roll this uh, threat, and no, I did not apply it in any way, shape, or form in this scene. Frankly, I got very excited about the other things that were going on, and I just plum forgot. So I think in the future I'm going to have to uh, make a point to jot these sorts of things down and have them right in front of me so I don't forget. Interesting, interesting. But I did succeed on the sensor table, so or a sensor roll. So, um, so we need to go back and see what's to be seen. All right. Uh, some of those, some of those rolls that I just did uh, could have come up with, you know, like the threat threat result, uh, threat spend roll could have come up with it being like a hostile alien entity or a subspace entity or things of that nature so we didn't generate anything along those lines so instead we have to go back so i am going to roll to see what the sensors tell me and uh we want to see if this is 
a living entity or something else, I'm going to say it's improbable that it's a living entity. And yet I rolled a yes. It is a living entity. Okay, whoa, fascinating. Huh. Fascinating. Hmm. Okay. Let's roll to see how many have uh, materialized on the on the ship. I'm going to roll a d20 divided by 2. Okay, so that is 3. We've got 3 on board. Not too many. Um, all right, so... Uh, so Lieutenant Cedino uh, yells back, uh, Captain, I'm getting life readings. Uh, so uh, Captain Cedino, of course. All right, Mirror Universe David checking in again to uh, just make an observation. Uh, for some reason, I uh, my brain slipped sideways and I began referring to Captain Galvin as Captain Cedino, perhaps re- reflecting my uh, secret ambitions after all. Let's see. Um, oh, I'm starting to get some ideas here. So, uh, so Captain Sedino is going to call out, "Identify yourselves!" You know. Now it's very interesting that Picard couldn't see them on the view screen, right? Even though they're living entities, or they're showing up as you know, as uh, on the on the life scan, the biological life scan. Okay, so Sedino is going to shout out to identify themselves. Um, can they speak? Can they speak on a, um, you know, frequency that human ears or any other humanoid ears can detect? I'm going to say, oh, by the way, I'm going to say that is improbable and we get a no. Okay. So we, so I'm picturing these kind of like very sort of ghostly, almost like smoke, smoky kind of humanoid shapes. They're almost like shadows or something. And, uh, and so you can't make out any features. And, um, and then uh, uh, they're not saying anything. So um, I, think, I think since this is a trap, I think they're here to kidnap. I think they're here on a, on a mission to kidnap. So are they going to kidnap Captain Sedino or try to kidnap him? We'll leave that up to a roll. But let's see if they're going to try and kidnap him. I'm going to say probably. And I get a no. Okay, so that means they're just going to grab uh, whoever's closest. So um, let's say, uh, yeah, let's say they're going to just, there's three of them. And hmm, how do we randomize this? So we've got, let's just go down the line. So we've got uh, Kerensky. I'm just going to do this on a 50-50 now. Commander Kerensky is a no. Okay. Then next we have Chief Engineer Lieutenant Thorella. That's also a no. So who does that? That that just leaves three. Okay, so they're going to go for uh, Lieutenant Kresar, uh, and then Win, and then this so far unnamed Ensign. Okay, so cool. So now we can go to um, a little bit of a fight. We can we can duke it out. So suddenly the the shadow creatures. Uh, sort of lunge in and they grab uh, they start grabbing for for win and uh, she is going to of course recoil away and try to fend them off I did actually uh, last time I I rolled that uh, she um, picked up some martial arts and so of course I had to go for Mokbara the Klingon judo um, and so she's gonna get to employ some of that <laughs> nice all right so uh, yeah we're gonna we're gonna have a fight here against this thing. So, 
The cool thing about uh, Captain's Log is that I don't need to like have stats uh, for these uh, shadow creatures because basically um, everything is all the all the rolling obviously is player facing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I track the hits for both myself and uh, you know my opponent. So we have three hits, so to speak, and um, basically whoever takes three hits, um, you know, marks off three hits first, uh, loses the combat. So obviously the stakes here are that if Wynn loses the combat, uh, she's going to be kidnapped. Okay, so that's fitting for the protagonist of the story, I think. All right, create hit tracks for each character. Done. Okay. Uh, choose a character. Perform a task. Success. Apply one hit to the opposition. Failure. Apply one hit to your character. Spend momentum and or threat. And there we go. Okay. So momentum is uh, is another thing. I should just uh, discuss really briefly since I uh, talked about threat already. And um, and so momentum is, is uh, very similar in that you can only have one momentum at a time. And... Uh, and then, um, so you can you can use momentum to cancel out a threat. If you happen to have momentum, you can just use that and be like, meh. Um, or you can spend it to re-roll a single d20. Or you can spend it to roll on the advantage table or otherwise add a new story element. Um, and um, let's see. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it might behoove me to actually remember how <laughs> how momentum is generated. Um, because with a threat, it's very simple. It's if you roll that, that natural 20. Um, but let's see. I don't actually remember how momentum gets generated. Hmm, interesting. Um, I think it's, is it when you roll two successes? That's a possibility. Um, yeah, here we go. Momentum represents the inertia created by exceptional success yielded from your roll, granting additional benefits. Okay. So, yes. I'm pretty sure that you generate momentum if you roll two successes. I will double check on that, but um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's the situation. All right. Anyway, won't worry about that now. I won't let that slow us down. Ah, yes. Here we go. Uh, yeah. If both d20s roll under your target number, you not only succeed but also gain momentum. Cool. Okay. So. Um, so we have to decide who's going first, and um, let's see. If this was an ambush on you, the opponent likely got to strike first. If so, they may score an automatic hit. You should consult the yes-no probability matrix on page 254 to make such a determination. Okay, that's fair. Um, it's entirely possible that, yeah, it's the, I just got grabbed. However, considering that everyone had already been alerted to these things' presence, and that Wynn is a... Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, puce belt <laughs> in uh, Makbara. Um, I'm going to say it's improbable that that is the case. Oof, almost came up a yes anyway. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. Okay. Okay, so since uh, since I wasn't ambushed, since they didn't get the drop on me, I basically, the way it works is if I, I make my roll, and if I succeed, they take a hit. If I fail, I take a hit. 
Uh, so, obviously, this is going to be a case. I can't rely on the ship now. Uh, so this will be a case for uh, security plus hmm, either daring or fitness. Okay, so now I can go back what I was doing before and, um, you know, thoughtfully scratch my chin as I'm reading the descriptions of these attributes and deciding which is better. Okay, so a character may use daring to strike in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Well, there we go. Um, character may use fitness to restrain a foe, resist a hazard, move quickly across the battlefield. Okay, okay, so it is daring. Cool, cool. And um, presence would be to intimidate, reason, devising a plan or strategy, increase odds of success, using control to shoot at enemies. Oh, okay. So I use control for my, my phaser. Daring when faced with violence. And I have a focus in martial arts, of course. I also have a focus in hand phasers. So I should probably remind myself what the focus can do for me. Okay, so let's see here. Alright, if the character has a focus that applies to the current task and they roll number equal or less than their discipline rank, okay, so that'd be security, three. They immediately create an advantage or roll on the advantage table. That advantage is now activated. It can be woven into the narrative. Cool. Alright, so I'm rolling daring plus security. I need a 13 or less. If, if uh, the success comes up on a 3 or less, I generate an advantage. Obviously, if I roll two successes, I get momentum. Let's find out. Ah, ha, ha. ah. So, I did succeed. I rolled a 12, but... Once again, the other one came up a 20. So we have now generated a threat. All right, so um, I do manage to inflict a hit on that person, that thing, whatever it is that's attacking me. Um, but I can generate a random threat spend. I think in this case, spending, this, you know, using the threat to increase the difficulty makes more sense because this, you know, I'm I was sitting at the helm, right? I'm I'm in one of these cozy, uh, leather upholstered, you know, uh, helm chairs that they've got. They look super comfy, and uh, you know, and this thing is kind of lunging at me. So it actually stands to reason that, uh, yeah, this is going to be kind of a, an awkward position to fight from, right? So, um, yeah, this thing's lunging at me, and I, I sort of dodged out of the way, and. Um, Ah, so here's an interesting question. We'll leave this up to the probability matrix. Are these things uh, physical? Like, can can you grab onto them? I'm gonna give that a 50-50 chance. Uh, 10 is, uh, yes. So, okay, so they, they are, wow. So these are, these are basically like shadow beings, but they're, they they have life signs, they have vital signs, and uh, and you can actually grab onto them. That's crazy. Okay, so I, I, I sort of, you know, instinctually reached out, grabbed this thing. I, I feel like, you know, its um, skin is really cold. It's like ice-cold skin. And um, and I managed to fend, fend it off from uh, grabbing me, but in so doing, I had to kind of twist around into an awkward position. Okay, so... Um, so the next roll, then, is going to require two successes from me. 13 or less. 
<laughs> I did it. A five and a nine. Okay. All right. So two boxes down and the third roll. We're back to the normal requirements. Oh, but I rolled a fail. I just failed outright. So we are struggling in this seat, um, you know, and uh, trying to, um, it's trying to overpower me basically. And it's starting to kind of get the upper hand maybe. We'll find out. Aha, no. In fact, I rolled two successes, which means I just generated a momentum and filled in the third box on that one. So um, I think I'll be holding on to that momentum. Let me just remind myself really quick what it does for me. Uh, let's see, so I can do a reroll. I can add an advantage. Oh, that's right. Um, or eliminate a threat. Okay, and then we just filled in the third box on the combat. So once we have done that, oh, that's right. You can also spend, hmm, yeah, 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 okay. So I forgot that in combat, there's a couple extra options for both momentum and threat. So um, making the task difficulty two, which is what I did, is one of the options as is create a complication, just like normal. Um, however, I can also spend threat to add one hit to me if, if I had failed that and, you know, if I failed a roll, um, or remove a hit from the opposition. And then with momentum, which I didn't generate in time, but uh, I can use that to add a hit to the opposition, remove a hit, reroll a d20 on a failure, and then, you know, the usual, create an advantage or cancel threat. So uh, basically you can use momentum and threat to add or subtract hits in addition to their usual uses. Okay, so uh, track is full, okay, and um, okay, the fight is over, and let's see, okay, once you're injured, okay, well, I'm not injured, I'm fine, getting back into the action, narrate how you get back into the action, it could be a temporary cure, oh, well, that's if I was injured, um, okay, all right, cool. So, um, there are rules for extended conflict. We just want to get, you know, like maybe a more epic fight going on, but not, not in this case. Um, okay, so I'm going to spend that momentum to generate an advantage, though. Because I am curious about uh, what might happen there. So, okay. So I think I uh, can roll on the advantage table, but let's just see. Okay, there's a lot of page flipping involved in this game, but I was anticipating that. Thank you for coming along with me on my page flipping journey. Um, okay, you may choose to add new and exciting variables to your adventure by making up an advantage consulting the advantage matrix or rolling on another matrix of your choosing narrate how this advantage or element makes life easier for your character okay hmm <laughs> okay okay so i think in this case we're just going to go with the with the obvious one which is uh that you know um the advantage is that uh basically as as we fended off these attackers and and we can assume that um you know, certainly, um, uh, oh, is it, 
yeah, Lieutenant Kresar, uh, you know, got her phaser out and, and, uh, you know, blasted her opponents and, um, and, and I'm sure even, um, uh, Lieutenant Thorella, um, held his own, uh, you know, that basically this, uh, surprise attack, um, you know, didn't go their way. And so uh, just as quickly as they appeared, uh, they disappeared. And I think the, I think the creepies part is, is that, um, you know, it, they just winked in and out, right? There, there was no like transporter kind of, uh, light show or anything like that. And I think in fact, the next scene will be trying to analyze where they came from. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's our first scene there. And so, um, you know, the, the scene concludes as everyone just kind of looks around a little dumbfounded, a little shocked with, uh, Picard in the background, uh, saying what's going on over there you know so um yeah so uh, at the end of a scene i have to decide whether that su- scene was a success or failure and uh so we've got these little sort of federation delta um boxes along the top uh, numbered you know for the scenes and color-coded for the acts and so if, uh, if I decided that was a success, I, I fill in the delta. And if I decide it was a failure, I just put an X over it. So obviously that was a success. I'm going to fill that in. And, uh, you know, honestly, I feel like that, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great beat, you know, to end off on to go to the credit sequence, right? You know, <laughs> so perfect. That worked out really well. Um, okay, so you know, we'll, we'll just, uh, proceed on to the next scene here. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really sure like how long it was going to take me to play through a given mission. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll aim for these episodes to be, you know, about 90 minutes to two hours. And so, uh, you know, keeping an eye on the time here, I'd say we're about halfway through. Um, so, you know, I don't think every scene is going to be quite as quite as involved as that one. I think some scenes could just be as simple as like making a single roll and then you move on to the next. But um, I would be surprised if we got much further than the end of Act One at best in this episode. <laughs> Which means if I can do one act per episode, um, we'll be doing one mission every three three episodes. So yeah, that wouldn't be a bad pace. All right, we'll take a break and we'll come back and do scene two. All right, so we are back and we are going to do scene two. So I think this is uh, shortly after the incursion onto the bridge, uh, onto Kyushu's bridge, and, um, and we are trying to figure out what the devil is going on? So, um, let's see. Oh, by the way, I went ahead and generated the name of that other ensign. So we've got Newton Kehoe. And they are an ensign. And um, I have a notion, you know, we, we, we talked in the last, uh, the last episode about... Um, uh, an incident from Wynn's past where she was nearly killed uh, during the Academy 
uh, during her time in the academy um, with a, um, I, I theorized it was some kind of an explosion. Um, so obviously some kind of engineering uh, lesson gone seriously awry, or perhaps a training mission um, that went went off the rails, and uh, and it was the fault of a fellow uh, cadet. So I've I toyed with the idea of, of having that cadet be um, on the crew when we started out, and possibly even being this this other ensign. But I want to bring that in actually. I think later, either later this mission or in a different mission. Um, I just think it would be. Uh, yeah, it, it would it would be dramatically appropriate to have that past rival show up. So I think we'll hold off um, for the time being on that one. Got enough going on as it is. So we've got these uh, strange shadow beings. They don't show up on a view screen. Um, they they do register as life forms and. Um, you know they have they have physical form. You can grab them. They can grab you, uh, but they can also apparently come and go at will. So, I think uh, the first thing that we need to do is uh, scan and see if we have any traces of like uh, signs of transporter activity uh, on or around the ship. Uh, that's something that I believe they can do. <laughs> that sounds familiar. I think I've seen that in some episodes I've watched. So uh, we will bring in, we will introduce our uh, chief science officer, which is Lieutenant Commander Tamir, who is a Vulcan. Um, uh, it's a, a Vulcan woman, and uh, for her trait, I rolled unconventional, which is certainly an interesting trait to get for a Vulcan. So uh, I'm going to have to give some thought as to how that might manifest and if anyone has any suggestions for how a Vulcan might be unconventional um, you know something that is sort of uh, forming in my in my thoughts in my mind is you know maybe there's uh, either Vulcan like sort of like sub subcultures or um, um, maybe like minority philosophical movements you know that go against the main Vulcan creed. I don't know. Um, or it could just be something simpler where, uh, you know, she's just kind of unusual for a Vulcan. Like her personality is, is somewhat non Vulcan like, you know? Uh, but anyway, she and, uh, <clears throat> Captain, uh, Galvin are, um, you know, going over some, uh, data that they've pulled up on the ship's computer. So we're going to roll the ship again and um, I think sen sensor plus, uh, let's see, sensor plus science, let's just say, or engineering, they're the same value. And uh, that's going to be a 14. Here we go. Okay, two successes. Um, that brings up an interesting question, which is whether that generates momentum or not. I'm going to assume it does. I think um, I recall just reading if you roll two successes i don't think it's stipulated it has to be a roll for yourself per se so we're going to generate some momentum and in that case i think rolling an advantage we'll just cash that in right now and uh roll up an advantage there so very interesting so we're going to find out what exactly they 
determined, and I, you know, honestly have no idea. <laughs> so let's find out. Okay, so momentum spend. Generating random momentum spends. Okay. Um, Alright, so advanced warning might be appropriate. Danger revealed might also be appropriate. Um, let's see here. A heretofore unknown danger had been lurking in your midst, but you detect the peril before it's able to inflict harm. Perhaps a hidden foe has been scheming to disrupt your plans. You're able to manage the situation before they can act. You've also got advanced warning. You're tipped off to potential danger. The early warning helps you prepare for the peril or allows you to avoid it entirely. Okay, so let's see. I'm just kind of looking over some of these potential outcomes. And I think we'll go with danger revealed. All right. Computer archive search turns up danger. Ah, perfect. All right. Here we go. Let's see. So, okay. I have to describe the scene, don't I? All right. So we're still on the bridge. <laughs> we're still on the bridge. Um, and uh, yes, so Lieutenant Commander Tamir has joined us. And uh, as I say, uh, uh, she and Captain uh, Galvin are, are kind of... Uh, you know, I described the bridge earlier. If we just imagine some of these um, screens and, and information banks are located sort of behind the main command area, um, you know, against the back wall, sort of. Um, and again, uh, you know, look on the show notes. I'll have a link to uh, these visuals. I think would be quite helpful if you're having trouble visualizing. Uh, but, you know... Um, Captain uh, Galvin and, and Commander uh, Tamir's faces are sort of somewhat underlit by the uh, computer screens as they uh, pour over the data. Um, uh, Wynn is uh, sort of standing by, um, having gotten up from the con, and um, and uh, so they are they are uh, combing over the data. And I think um, we have uh, Tamir. Punching up, you know, a few a few numbers. You know, this, this is the thing they do on TNG a lot. Is there's there's just a lot of like, you know, they're just punching that touch screen like a lot, you know. So and and little bloop 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 bloop, and uh, and so so we've got potential danger revealed, right? Or, or rather, the uh, ship's logs. Here, I've already forgotten what I rolled. <laughs> All right, so. We've got the, um, the beep, beep, beep. computer archive search turns up danger. Okay, so <clears throat> so Tamir's saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm detecting a strange pattern, uh, Captain. I see no signs of. Actually, hold on. Let's go to the probability matrix. I think it's uh, likely that Tamir, uh, or I should say, probable that Tamir sees no signs of um, actual transporter beam activity. Ah, but I rolled a no. Interesting. Okay, so uh, let's do one more roll. Let's say, is it is it um, is it known uh, transporter uh, tech? And uh, and I'll say that is highly improbable. Okay. All right. So Tamir is saying I am detecting some signs of transporter activity, Captain, but it does not match our. Uh, Federation um, uh, transporter patterns, let's say, right? You know, and uh, and and Captain uh, Galvin is, uh, you know, his eyes are 
scanning over the data as well and and uh and he says um does it match any known uh, patterns uh lieutenant commander and uh you know some more beep boop boop pop boop boop beep boop boop you know and uh Tamir brings up something on the you know computer uh search all known transporter patterns uh you know and there's there's some um brief pause and then and then the computer uh you know pulls up a report and um and what we have oh boy let's see potential danger potential danger okay so i'm seeing this going a few ways so i think we need to start thinking about um now this was a trap so we know we know we've been lured here under false pretenses of it being possibly of it being a gravimetric disturbance the gravimetric disturbance might still be there though these uh strange shadow beings could very well just be using that as an opportunity right we're orbiting a um what did we say a class k planet uh, or f prime that is not exactly a habitable world but maybe it once was let's roll let's roll on that probability matrix we'll, we'll do 50 50 was actually no we'll we'll do uh, slightly probable okay so was was orath prime uh once a uh, habitable planet right so let's find out uh the answer to that is yes it was once a habitable planet uh did it once have a civilization living on it i'll say that's highly probable and oof, barely <laughs> uh, chances are one to 18 and i got an 18 all right so yes as i suspected so once upon a time this was a habitable world uh probably you know when the sun was a little brighter before it uh, started to burn out and um there was a civilization on this planet they had advanced technology including transporter technology and um and so what we're seeing what the computer is telling us basically is that this matches um uh, this matches a, a type of transporter uh tech that um let's see how how should we put this maybe it was um Maybe it's like a, a particularly experimental or older uh, type of, of transport attack, like a, a, a direction of, of research that was abandoned uh, by, you know, Federation scientists uh, a couple hundred years ago as being uh, too dangerous, too unstable. Um, so basically where I'm going with this is, I, is I'm thinking these shadow beings are the sort of uh you know the ghosts if you will of this form of civilization um and um there's there's some sort of possess possession situation going on here so maybe maybe it's even that they they didn't intend you know there was there was no intention here to lure the federation right but it's turned into a trap right once the um once these beings uh detected the arrival of the federation starships they're like aha because what they need possibly what they need and this is just sort of my working theory i don't want to nail anything down just yet 
But my working theory is that um, they might be looking to um, maybe like take over the bodies of uh, of our redoubtable crew, possess them in some way. You know, they wanted to kidnap them, so that would sort of indicate they can't they can't just do it. They can't just like do the old switcheroo. They have to like take take you to some location, probably on the planet's surface. Okay. So, um, this is going to be a short scene, but I just want to do one more, one more role. Uh, Captain Galvin asks, uh, Tamir, uh, you know, can we detect the source of these, uh, uh, transporter beams? So let's find out. Let's find out what Tamir can find out here. Two successes again. So that's another momentum generated. Okay, great. Um, so yes, uh, very much so. Now, this was something I had in my, in, you know, going around in my mind was, um, you know, would the planet allow, uh, transportation down to the surface level and, um, and, or, you know, would, would we have to take a shuttle? Um, I'm going to say that okay let's let's do a probability matrix what i what i'm thinking is is that the answer is no you can't transport down to the planet surface perhaps because of the gravimetric distortion that is going on it would interfere with the uh, transporter beams um and i have that in mind basically because i'm trying to keep win in the story <laughs> but i'll do a probability matrix roll what the hell um, we'll say we'll say it's uh, improbable though that you could transport down to the surface. Okay, so yeah, that is that is uh, confirmed. So, all right, so uh, yeah, to um, Tamir uh, relays that information to the captain, uh, and uh, and so the captain uh, turns to uh, Commander Krensky and says, uh, "Number one, assemble an away team." and uh, prepare a shuttle uh, for landing on the surface of Orath Prime. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so we'll call that scene a success. And the reason I kind of wanted to kind of push the shuttle angle is that, of course, Wynn is a very good pilot. And so uh, Kerensky would naturally bring uh, when along with uh, Lieutenant Krisar, of course, and um, <laughs> how about how about we introduce the chief tactical officer, uh, and that is Lieutenant Commander Sterling Jammer, <laughs> who is uh, stalwart, is their character trait. So we have Commander Kerensky, Lieutenant Commander Jammer, um, Lieutenant Kresar, and Lieutenant Sedino. Okay. All right. So um, I think we need to give Wynn an opportunity here to look like a badass. So um, for the next scene, we are aboard one of Kyushu's shuttles. So... If you recall from last session, I was rolling up the talents for Kyushu, and uh, one of the talents I got was extensive shuttle bays. So I um, 
I was giving that some thought uh, because I believe, um, you know, essentially what we, uh, what it talked about here, let me just pull this up, is um, that the ship just has more shuttles than normal, you know. Um, let's see here, here it is. The vessel's shuttle bays are large, well-supplied, and able to support a larger number of active shuttle missions simultaneously. Um, I also picked up the uh, Utopia Planitia or Planitia uh, source book for Star Trek Adventures, which is kind of the Starfleet source book because it's got a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, you know, this section brought to you by Modiphius. Um, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Um, seeing the virtues of this source book, it's got a great chapter on life in Starfleet. Um, you know what you do aboard ship, like you know what you want to give thought to in terms of, like number of shifts, and you know we'll kind of get into that. We'll cover that maybe in future episodes or future missions. Even it's got a great uh, random table for like what kind of uh, what kind of game are you playing when you're hanging out with your fellow crew, or you know. What kind of martial arts are you training in? Or what holodeck simulation is going on right now? You know, so pretty cool stuff. And, of course, it's got a lot of uh, information on different ships and ship classes and so forth. Interestingly enough, according to this source book, you know, I had looked up on Memory Alpha when the New Orleans class came, you know, came into service and it was like 2320-something. Um, according to this source book, the New Orleans class did not come into service until 2364 uh and it also notes something um new orleans class vessels are often named after places or people of the mississippi delta of north america none of that really seems to align with the stuff i've seen on memory alpha uh like i said on the um the images of the bridge that i'm using were for the uss lafayette uh and then we've got the uss kyushu there was an one or two others that uh, Memory Alpha lists as being New Orleans class. I don't remember any of them having anything to do with the Mississippi Delta. I mean, that would make sense what with the New Orleans class and everything. But, you know, I didn't see all that until long after I decided on the ship and the time frame. So after a little bit of thought, I decided to just stick with what Memory Alpha has to say. But anyway, all that aside... Um, <laughs> canon conflicts in star trek never i've never heard of such a thing um it does have a nice little section on shuttlecraft and or small craft even so uh as this is a game set in the 2350s we actually are a little early just a little early for the tng era shuttle the type 6 so we're actually still rocking the Class F shuttle, which is the, uh, the little rhomboid-looking dude with those, with those hanging rocket pods uh, that we, we know and love from the original series. So this is an old design, and it's been much modified and changed over the years. And so I decided that Kyushu, with uh, multiple or extended shuttle bays, has three of these bad boys one is just a standard class f shuttle then we've got um let's see a uh, vulcan modification um that uh, has an improved warp drive so it's handy for uh, 
sending it out in you know kind of uh, you know if you need the range you've got you've got that option and then um, I think we have also got the type 18 which is a uh, Telar modification um, which has high resolution sensors on it so that's kind of the craft you would send down to the planet surface uh, if you want to do some more like kind of close in um, sensor readings sensor sweeps and hmm, I'm kind of like trying to decide so do we want to go with the, the standard class F or do we want to take the type 18 uh, down because you know of course we're, we're kind of looking for we're looking for signs of these weird shadow beings so I think actually yeah we're in the type 18 so that replaces the rugged design uh, talent with high resolution sensors so let's see let's see what that does for us um, but anyway I want to I want to give Win a chance to just kind of do some piloting here since that is our forte let's see here rugged design okay the ship is designed with the frontier in mind, with a durable construction and easy access to critical systems that allow repairs to be made easily. Okay. <laughs> and then we have, um, uh, what did I say, high resolution sensors can gain large amounts of accurate data, though they are extremely sensitive. Okay. Good to know. All right. So, obviously, this is... Um, kind of a um, more narrative approach. Uh, let's see. If the ship has a talent that applies to the current task, you roll equal to or below the ship's system's number. Immediately roll on the advantages matrix. That advantage is now activated and can be woven into the narrative. Okay, so basically if I'm doing a sensor sweep and, uh, and yeah, I... Um, and we, we roll equal to or lower than the systems number. Oh, the systems number, okay, that's pretty good. Um, then um, then we get an advantage, okay. All right, so uh, the class, S, class F has a sensors system rating of four. All right, fair enough. All right, so um, however, before we get to that, we've got Wynn. So, so uh, the scene opens with uh, this uh, Type 18 Scout shuttle uh, launching out of the uh, shuttle bay on Kyushu. Um, you know, we can see the uh, shuttle sort of slowly floating out into space from the open shuttle bay as uh, uh, Orath Prime looms menacingly below us in the background and then those engines engage and zoof down the ship begins to descend towards the surface of the planet and we cut to the inside of the shuttle and there we have uh, Lieutenant Sedino at the helm again uh, you know face very focused um, as, uh, as she is um, adjusting the course heading and velocity and so forth um, and we have, uh, let's say, um, Commander Kerensky is kind of, you know, um, got one hand on the back of the chair and then the other hand on, you know, on a, uh, 
on the dashboard, so to speak, uh, you know, looking out over Wynn's uh, shoulder, uh, out through the view screen, and uh, saying, you know, uh, careful about those cross shears, and, uh, you know, be sure to compensate for the, uh, um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> uh, oh, 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 uh, magnetic field interference, there we go. You know, coming up with techno babble off the top of your head is very challenging. I just have to say, um, and so I think I think when you know, um, you know, II Commander and uh, and then Commander, uh, <clears throat> I seem to be encountering some strange gravimetric um, disturbances as I uh, as we uh, enter the atmosphere. So um, what we're going to do is try and pilot our way through the uh, sort of, yeah, gravimetric cross shears that are occurring uh, thanks to this uh, strange um, phenomenon that's going on on this planet. So that's something, you know, we haven't really... We're, we're kind of getting an idea of what these strange haunting entities are, but we don't really know what's going on with that gravimetric disturbance. Is it related to the entities at all? Is it is the planet, like, reaching the end of its lifespan and it's going to, like, sort of tear itself apart? Um you know, is it, does it have something to do with the ancient civilization? Is it like kind of the equivalent of like something, something down in the core of the earth that was like, you know, some sort of uh, geothermal power plant that they constructed? And uh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, we shall see. But first, we have to see if Wynn can pilot her way through this, uh, yeah, gravimetric, you know. Um, disturbance. So let's see. I don't think. Well, okay. So the uh, shuttle has a structure of five. So that's one possible approach would be to, um, you know, roll control plus structure to uh, try and and sort of um, prevent damage to the ship. But I think I'll just go with command plus con. I mean, sorry, uh, control plus con, uh, even though that's lower chance of success. Pat myself on the back for nerfing myself there. Um, do I have any focuses that might apply? Let's see here. Not really, sadly. Okay. So do I have any values? So um, I don't know if I talked about the mechanical use of values yet. Uh, I did mention last episode that when you when you use or challenge a value, um, you cross it off and you replace it with something at the end of the mission. So you can only use it once per mission and then you have to replace it with something else entirely. Uh, so, and basically what you do with that, you can, you can either tap it or you can challenge it. If you tap it, I don't know if that's the actual term they use, but whatever. Um, you can, uh, you know, that's basically just like, uh, like for instance, resistance is never futile is one of my values. Um, and that, you know, obviously might apply if, you know, someone is trying to, say, uh, torture me into, you know, giving up some secrets, you know, and, and they were just saying, you know, just just make it easier on yourself and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll make the pain go away, you know, and resistance is never futile, you know, and, and so basically what that can do is it either generates momentum or removes a threat that hasn't been spent yet. Um, and so challenging a value, though, you can also challenge a value um, 
Like, so for example, with resistance is never futile, maybe there's a situation where it would actually make more sense for me to um, kind of, you know, compromise or give in, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be stubborn, I'm not going to budge, you know, because I see this as a sort of battle of wills, and so therefore, screw you, uh, you know, in which case, I, I'm still going to cross the value off, but I'm sort of challenging it, it's, I'm using it in a negative way. So I'm just looking, <laughs> act with confidence even if you don't feel like it, could certainly apply. Hmm. That could certainly apply. Um, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, yeah, because, uh, you know, internally Wynn is feeling very unsure of herself right now. She's never had to pilot a ship through gravimetric distortion. Very few people have. Uh, so, you know, and she's got uh, Commander Kerensky, like, literally leaning over her shoulder. So you don't want to, like, screw it up in front of the, uh, you know, first officer, you know, on top of everything else. And uh, so, yeah, so so uh, Lieutenant Cedino just says, uh, <laughs> not a problem, uh, Commander. I got this. <laughs> All right. So that generates momentum. Um, so I, hmm, I could use that for a reroll, um, you know, if, if, if necessary here. So I very well may, very well may, but, uh, let's see, I'm just remind myself really quickly here. What else I can use it for? Uh, let's see here. And, you know, eventually I'll remember this. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, of course, I can use it for uh, generating an advantage or eliminative threat, which there isn't one at the moment. So I'm going to hold on to that in case I need to re-roll one of my two dice here. If I roll two two failures, I'm going to very much want to <laughs> re-roll one of those. Okay, here we go. Interesting. Okay, I'm rolling a lot of natural 20s today, I just have to say. Um, I guess when you're rolling 2d20 every time, right? Okay, so I got the classic uh, success on one die and generating a threat on the other. Uh, now, I didn't spend that momentum, so I think what I'll do is I'll spend it right now to eliminate that threat. Just immediately eliminate that threat. So we'll cancel that out, thankfully. Whew, okay, and uh, yeah, so when, you know, punches a few, um, you know, um, boxes, <laughs> a few symbols on the... Uh, on the touchscreen, and there's a sound, and uh, and yeah, makes the appropriate adjustments to offset the gravimetric distortion field, and we are through, and we are down onto the planet's surface. So that is scene three, and that is another success. So incidentally, you know, at the end of the mission, I count up the number of successful scenes versus the number of failed scenes, and. Um, you know, if I have more successes, I guess I win the scenario. If I have more failures, I, I lose. Um, that's about it. I mean, there's no, <laughs> as far as I could tell, there's no like actual um, sort of, you know, lasting impact for whether you win or lose. Like, I don't know, you don't, you know, like your character doesn't benefit or suffer uh, due to the outcome. I think it's just more for your own sort of edification, you know. Okay, so we are on to scene four here. We're cooking right along. <clears throat> so I'm definitely going to uh, just keep this to act one. 
even though I think it'll make for a somewhat shorter episode. Maybe next episode I'll do two acts. I don't know. But this has definitely been a good uh, learning experience in terms of like what I need to familiarize myself with, etc., etc. So, um, you know, what parts of the book I should uh, go back and review some more. So, uh, that being said, I think for scene four, we've got the shuttle um, on the surface of Orath Prime. So... I'm picturing a, uh, an orange sky and um, gray, you know, rocks and, and dirt, stones, um, very barren, no, no signs of life whatsoever, no vegetation, nothing like that, um, and a, uh, a strong but, uh, and, and steady but not terribly, um, not terribly overwhelming breeze or wind uh, blows, uh, buffeting the shuttle with, uh, you know, a constant stream of dust. And uh, the shuttle door and ramp open, and out come our intrepid away team. They are wearing environmental suits uh, because the atmosphere, as we established, on Orath Prime is not breathable. So, um, we've got, you know, a couple of the team, including Lieutenant Sedino, uh, with their phasers in hand, ready for trouble as they uh, look around. So, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to consult the probability matrix and see if there's anything visible uh, because this was basically the the shuttle landed where the um, the sensor scan said the uh, the sort of trans transporter uh, particles originated, right? So we're gonna see if there's anything any vis any visible like structures or other indications of intelligent life um, in this immediate vicinity on on this set, if you will. Uh, I'm going to say that is probable. And yes, indeed. Okay. So the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to roll... Um, I'm going to go to the encounter matrixes. And I'm going to roll on the abandoned places matrix. And we'll see what is to be seen. All right. Home with hidden doors. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, hmm. To think about what that means exactly. And is there anything else we can roll on? Let's just, uh, yeah. Nothing just yet, I don't think. Nothing just yet. Okay, so, uh, you know, Lieutenant Sedino, um, um, you know, points through the uh, blowing dust and says, uh, "Commander, structure over there," and uh, and we can indeed we can see a sort of boxy, um, very kind of simple looking structure, um, just visible through the blowing uh, dust. And as the away team approaches, it does indeed seem to be some kind of habitation, uh, but uh, there are no visible doors or windows or other, you know, ports of entry into this uh, structure. 
Okay. So, uh, Commander Kerensky orders the away team to uh, spread out, look for a way in. So, um, that gives our hero an opportunity to perhaps spot something. Um, okay, so this brings up an interesting question. What is what is the equivalent of a perception roll, you know? And in this case, I think, um, I mean, insight seems like a likely uh, choice. I think perceptiveness was even, yeah, perceptiveness is listed as uh, one of the defining characteristics of uh, insight. And I think we'll go with engineering um, for the uh, discipline since we're kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> looking at this from an architectural problem-solving uh, perspective. So, uh, insight plus engineering, that is an 11. All right, rolled a 10 on one of the dice, and no threats or anything else. All right, so, hmm, this brings up our next interesting question. So, Home with hidden doors. Okay, so it says hidden doors. Okay, very good. All right, so, uh, so you know, everyone spreads out. They're looking around. I'm going to say this is like, you know, almost like a compound. There's like multiple uh, sort of habitations sort of um, joined together wall to wall. And, uh, you know, people are like running their hands along the outer uh, surfaces of this thing. And, uh, and Lieutenant Cedino is doing the same, and she... She detects a, a hairline crack in the wall at one point and, um, you know, brushing away some of the accumulated dust can see, aha, it is the distinctive outline of a door. All right. So uh, she calls out over the comm link um, that she found something as she begins to uh, sort of press against it and see if she can figure out a way to get it open. Um, okay, so let's see. Would that be just uh, the same role? Hmm. Or reason might be better. Meticulous analysis, um, forming and testing of theories. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, when faced with a physical problem, a character may use reason to study the problem, to find a solution, or to apply available information to coming up with a plan. I think we'll go with that. So we'll do reason plus engineering again. And uh, that's a 13. All right. I rolled a one success on that. All right. So I think as the rest of the team comes around and uh, is, uh, is gathering, uh, when, uh, you know, is... Um, sort of pressing and, and uh, running her fingers along the crack. And, uh, you know, after maybe, you know, 30 seconds of, of this sort of uh, searching activity, she finds a um, hidden uh, catch uh, in this door, if you will, uh, a, little, a little button maybe that she presses down on and the door swings open. Uh, opening up into this interior that has perhaps not seen the light of day for untold eons. All right, so that's scene four. So scene five, obviously, this is the last scene of the act, and um, 
you know we we've got a nice you know uh, one thing the book talks about is you know kind of try and look uh, for ways to direct the narrative in you know so that you have like interesting like act breaks and so obviously this will make a good act break as we head into the interior of this like ancient civilized um or you know ancient city i should say uh of this um long forgotten civilization and um yeah who knows what is within I'm kind of I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about like how we're applying these rules here. Um, it's really interesting, you know. I'm I'm digging it because <laughs> I'm kind of thinking like, okay, my GM brain is kicking in, and I'm like, okay, so if I were running this game and I were kind of making this scenario up off the top of my head, like I am right now, uh, you know, I would probably want to have some kind of. Uh, challenge like some kind of like physical challenge for the away team here whether it's uh you know more of these shadow folk or is it like some kind of like a literal trap you know we did roll trap as the uh complication or whatever so uh you know are we getting into some indiana jones territory here where we're gonna have like giant boulders dropping on us or whatever uh or like ancient defense uh networks kicking in and like shooting laser beams around that kind of thing you know so, uh, you know, and, and so I'm kind of thinking about like, okay, how, do, how do we implement that? Like, um, you know, the, the system isn't really telling you to just do things by fiat, right? It's kind of encouraging you to roll dice whenever a question comes up. And that's, what's really interesting to me because there's kind of two different approaches, right? You know, which is, I could be, uh, looking to generate threat through either rolling, natural 20s on those dice or um, you know what do they call it? challenging a value um, or or I could um, actually I don't know if challenging a value generates threat well it doesn't matter anyway <laughs> or I could just leave it up to the probability matrix so I think we're going to leave it up to the probability matrix so uh, for now for right now but more more threats could emerge, as we know. So let's see here. All right. First thing we're going to roll is: uh, Does the interior of these buildings contain any kind of threat whatsoever? And we'll say that's highly probable. And that's a yes. Okay. So next, we're going to say. Uh, do these buildings contain um, uh, ancient defense uh, networks that will will trigger um, to um, try and eliminate an intruder? And uh, I'd say we'd call that uh, somewhat probable. And that's a no. All right. Well, you know, I was a little excited by the idea of a bunch of laser beams uh, shooting out of nowhere, but eh, you know, some other time, some other time. Um, okay, and. Um, do do the surface levels? Do, do these upper levels of uh, these abandoned buildings contain any of these shadow people? And uh, for that, I will say it is uh, somewhat improbable. And yet, I rolled a yes. Interesting. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna end Act One with a little bit of action here. Okay. So our intrepid away team and their uh, little Star Trek-y um, environmental suits with their, with their faces 
illuminated inside their um, helmets um, are uh, making their way into this windowless um, mostly doorless uh, compound you know so it's like pitch dark inside so now um, uh, flashlight beams come on as everyone um, moves inside and so the beams are you know playing around the interior of these buildings and um, you know even though they are in these environmental suits there's a there's a sense of great antiquity um, despite all the blowing dust outside the the interior like the floor is covered with only the finest layer of the finest dust you know leaving just the slightest footprints to mark their passage and uh you know it's almost like these were practically airtight on the inside seemingly untouched by the ages and yet empty i think actually hold on probability matrix okay <laughs> Uh, part, I'm, I'm discovering part of the system is developing an instinct for when to roll on the probability matrix. So we'll say it is uh, probable probable that these buildings are entirely empty. Ow! Ha! See, that's why we roll. We get surprised. So, uh, so no, these buildings are not entirely empty. In fact, in fact, they are uh, still ah, they still have all their sort of interior furnishings. Ah, so now we're getting into some Pompeii kind of shit, right? So let's let's uh, let's ask the probability matrix. Oh, great and mighty probability matrix. Um, uh, do we see signs that um, the residents of these buildings were just going about their day before something catastrophic happened, and uh, you know, sort of the equivalent of you know finding the the dining table still set for for Christmas dinner, you know that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to give that a fifty-fifty, because I really don't have a strong feeling, and um, that's a yes. Okay, so so there we're you know our away team we're we're commenting over our com links, and uh, and you know sort of um, back up to the bridge as well, uh, you know, <laughs> you know come in with, you know, the, the crackling kind of CB, you know, like signs that uh, uh, the site was abandoned with great haste, Captain. And then, uh, you know, Wynn says, yeah, over, over here I'm seeing uh, signs that it, it almost looks like they were right in the middle of sitting down to a meal. Like, I could swear these are place settings, you know. And, uh, and of course, we as the viewers, as they're making their way through the this uh, pitch black interior with their their flashlight beams sort of swinging around and illuminating this uh the scene of a sudden disaster uh we as the viewers can see lurking humanoid shapes moving in the shadows you know the shapes are are even darker than the the shadows being cast by the ambient light from the from the uh, flashlights and the the uh, daylight outside coming in through the the open portal, and um, so really, <laughs> my only my only question is, um, oh, great and mighty probability matrix, uh, is anything else going to happen before our our inevitable action scene here that's going to close out Act One? So fifty fifty chance again. 
and we get a no. Okay, so we're going to go straight to the action. All right. So, um, all right. So, last time we had a combat. I mentioned that there's a, uh, you know, a possibility of, of an ambush. And so I think in this case, we're, um, we're just going to go straight, straight in with that. We're going to have that ambush happen as uh you know because we're we're on the we're on the shadow people's uh home turf here you know they're um they are they have the upper hand they have the drop so to speak so all right um and i'm kind of thinking hmm i mean not to get too original series on this but i'm i'm almost wondering if this is an opportunity see i should have had a red shirt i know red shirts aren't really a tng thing but should have had a red shirt come along to be haplessly uh murked by one of these shadow people um you know as as the way to kick off the action scene right uh but let's see here if this is an ambush on you, the opponent likely got to strike first. If so, they may score an automatic hit. You should consult the yes-no probability matrix, page 254, to make such a determination. Okay. Okay. Um, help determine if an injury occurs. Okay. All right. So, let's see. We had... Uh, who did I say? We have Kerensky. We have Lieutenant Commander Sterling Jammer, Chief Tactical Officer. And, um, and then, uh, who else did I say? Lieutenant Commander Tamir, right? Or no, no, sorry, uh, Kresar, Lieutenant Kresar. Okay, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that they get the drop on Lieutenant Commander Jammer. Um, and I'm gonna roll the yes-no probability matrix to see if he gets um, injured, 50-50. Uh, that's a yes. Okay, so a sudden a sudden scream uh, echoes out over the comm link. Says uh, Lieutenant Commander Jammer is um, grabbed by a couple of these shadow people, and in fact, let's say instead of injured, we'll say he's he's pulled back into the shadows. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. Oh, I like that. Okay, so uh, yeah, so he just disappears. Um, so so yeah, his uh, a sudden scream cut off and. Um, Let's see. Let's uh, let's give Kerensky a chance. So she's gonna she's gonna whip around and, and kind of like see if she can. Uh, you know, she's calling out, "Jammer, Jammer, where are you?" And uh, and she's she's got her tricorder out and she's uh, scanning to see if she can pick up his vitals. And um, I think, yeah, again, rather than rolling on a, on a skill type thing, we'll just do the probability matrix there. And I think these things have made off with them. So I think it's improbable that she's going to find any vitals. And in fact, no, she does not. So he has, he has disappeared. Um, oof. Oh, so good. And, um, but at this point, our, our stalwarts team has uh, spotted these other shadow folk. And so um, I think while Kerensky's doing the tricorder scan, uh, Kresar and Wynn are going to uh, open up with some phaser action here because, come on, we gotta have some phasers. So I have the hand phasers focus, which means if I roll a three or less, because that is my security rating, um, I think it was like I generate momentum. So cool beans. Um, 
I don't want to burn a value just yet or do anything like that. So um, I believe we established that control was the um, attribute that you use. Uh, let's see. Yeah, for shooting. Okay, so it's control plus security. So that is a 12 or less. Here we go. We are shooting and got one success. Okay, cool. So it doesn't really, the combat doesn't really differentiate between like hand-to-hand -hand versus ranged. So one success means I do damage to them. Um, uh, probability matrix. How... Uh, let's see, is, is it likely that uh, Wynn can get off another shot before uh, some of these shadow people are on, on her, right? Because they're, they're rushing in. We'll say that's somewhat improbable. And that's a no. Okay, so a couple of these shadow people are like rushing her. So uh, she's going to have to resort to her uh, Mukbar. Mukbara? Bara? Sorry about my Klingon. Um, <laughs> training. And <laughs> sounds kind of Scottish. Morkbara. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're just going to be uh, duking it out here. But I did manage to at least zap one of these guys. You know, the, the phaser beam lights up the interior of this uh, ancient complex and uh, hits one of these shadow guys. And, you know, uh, there's a brief moment where he, he's sort of frozen there. And then, boom, you know, just ceases to exist as his atoms are dispersed to rejoin the universe. All right. Um, may we all be so lucky. Okay, so... <laughs> um, all right. Here we go. We're going to fight it out. We're going to duke it out. It is uh, daring plus security, so that is a 13 or less. Again, I have a focus here, so if I roll a 3 or less, good things happen. And, uh, well, still got good things happening here because I rolled two successes. So that is uh, generating a momentum. So I do one damage and I'm going to spend that momentum to give myself a plus one. Okay, so uh, when successfully uh, fights off her, her opponents, I'm going to say she like, you know, kind of uh, uses some of her Makbara training to, you know, flip one and then like, you know, dodge out of the way of the other. She's still got her phaser in her hand, and so she she hits uh, both of them with close range phaser blasts. Uh, let's see how well Krisar um, did. Uh, we'll just roll, make a quick roll here. Security um, plus weapons, I guess. And okay, one success. That's fine. So Kreisar is uh, holding their own as well. So now we'll go to the probability matrix and we will ask the matrix, um, uh, let's see, how about, um, uh, are more shadow people going to appear? Um, or, well, it's just a yes or no question. So are more shadow people going to appear? I'll say 50-50. Roll three, uh-oh, okay, so we got more coming in. All right, so Wynn is gonna try and uh, zap him here with her phaser. And let's see, so that is control. Okay, 12 or less. Okay, all right. Oof, that was almost a 20 there. 
All right, one success, and again, we will ask if we can get off another shot before they close in, and that is a no. Okay, so much like last time. Okay, here we go. Switching to Mokbara. All right. Oh, another 19, wow. Okay, one success there, so they are at two hits. We just need one more hit. Imagine some exciting Star Trek combat music. No, it's already playing. I put it in. Haha. -ha. All right. Hey, there we go. Two successes. So that is a hit, and I get a momentum generated, which I don't need to spend right away, so I will hold on to that. Okay, so now I'm going to ask uh, the probability matrix, are the shadow people going to withdraw? I'm going to say that's probable. And that's a yes. Whew. Okay, so with that, our away team managed to fight off the shadow people. Uh, however, uh, Lieutenant Commander Sterling Jammer has been kidnapped and pulled deeper into this uh, complex. And that is how we will end off this act. Um... Is that a success or a failure? I guess it's a success because Jammer was taken through no fault of my own um, and I managed to, you know, hold my own in combat. So, yeah. Um, like I say, you know, we'll, we'll see we'll see how, how much uh, we can get through next time but, you know, I feel like I'm kind of getting a feel for the system here. So uh, I think things are going to move along a little faster now. But um, that was great, actually. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel that felt very Star Trek-y to me. Um, and, uh, and, and suitably creepy there at the end, you know? I could kind of picture that abandoned uh, compound and this, you know, inhospitable planet. So very interested in seeing what lies below um, or indeed what what else is going to happen. I, I don't think we're going to get back on that shuttle and go back up to Kyushu. We've also got the Starjammer in orbit as well. So let's not forget that because that was an advantage I rolled at the beginning. Uh, so should not uh, neglect that. But, uh, yeah, no, that was great. So, as always, uh, uh, you know, head on over to the Esoteric Order Discord or leave a comment on um, the post here on Podbean. Um, if you have any, um, you know, feedback, uh, especially if you have any ideas, uh, you know, um, as to the nature of these, these shadow people, the civilization, um, what the hell is going on exactly or you know anything else you want to add like some lore background lore detail oh uh i did intentionally set this was a little another little easter egg but i did intentionally choose the year 2352 because that is one year before uh jack crusher wesley's dad and picard's best friend is tragically killed so just thought i would leave that that open for potential plot developments Okay, well, I think on that note, we will uh, wrap it up for this week. And uh, yeah, until next time, um, I really need to come up with a good 
sign off. <laughs> All right, until next time.